Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Gospel of John, chapter 3. We're going to pick up at verse 3. Once you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God, for being here. Help us to focus on you, Father God. Help us to learn of you, Father God. Truly let your word resonate in our hearts. Give us understanding hearts, hearing ears. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, it's where we've been for a minute. And uh, we're going to touch on a subject that's a little bit controversial, and it's secretly controversial. I've been praying and debating about whether or not to play with it or not, but I came across it a couple of times, so just for clarity's sake, we're going to touch on it. And it's the secret debate Because most camps, when you talk about church and church traditions, everybody has their camps that they fall under. They're things that separate denominations, separate churches, so on and so forth. And we all got the big ones when you're talking about Calvinism and Arminianism. And people talking about cessationism and continuationism and so on and forth, whether or not the gifts continue. But one that's hardly ever talked about, that's somewhat of a big deal, that separates people, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, is this idea that some camps believe in what they call a second blessing or, or a filling after your salvation. And you got these people that you feel once you save. And it's something that's not really talked about across camps too often. You usually fall in with your camp. And whatever your people believe, that's what you believe. And most people never really run into people who believe the other way. And when you hear something that sounds a little bit different, since we use the same words, most of us gloss over it and really don't catch it. But there is a group of people who would categorize certain people as not being saved. Unless you got this idea of the second blessing, this continuation, this extra Holy Ghost going on. And there's secretly the other people who oppose to that stuff. They will say that these people are heretics, devilish, and they don't know Jesus because they putting some extra on salvation. Those are the two extremes. And we're going to wrestle with it a little bit and see really what scripture says and which one of those camps are being just a little bit extra. Because anytime you got that far of an extreme where one camp secretly calling the other camp not Christian, even though they all get together and they go to each other conferences and speak at each other meetings and in the back doors talk about each other, that means there's got to be some tradition in there somewhere. So let's wrestle with it a little bit. And what we're going to start with is what we started a long while ago. And these are the undisputables is what I'm classifying this group as. This, this is one little point that we're going to go back to, and it's going to be the basis of all our thoughts about this thing, is undisputable. No matter what camp you fall in, no matter what group you, you fall under, you cannot debate this point. First, I mean, Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 3. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Read that one again. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, in Jesus' statement, he letting us know that the only way that we can see the kingdom of God is if we are born again. So conversely, that means if you are not born again, you do not have any hope of entering into heaven. So whatever born again means, you have to have it if you're going to see Jesus. If you will identify yourself as one that will receive eternal life, walk in the kingdom of God, enjoy the eternal blessings of our Father, you must be born again. There's no way you can get there apart from this born again experience, as some refer to it. Are are you with me? Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Go to verse 9. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. It says, but you are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's Romans 8 verse 9. Say, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. So if you got the spirit of God in you, you're no longer a fleshly creature. You're no longer walking after the flesh, living after the flesh, if the spirit of God in you. But he says, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you don't have this Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Liberty does not live inside of you. You do not belong to Christ. There's no way to be a Christian. There's no way to be a child of God exempt from the Spirit of God. Uh, everybody see that? We, we, we together. So you can't enter the kingdom of God without the Spirit. You can't be classified as a child of God without the Spirit. Go to Jude chapter 18. Just want to drive this one home a little bit before we go forward. And deal with the controversial stuff. Jude. Verse 18. Jude 18. Uh, This is Jude. He's talking about false teachers and deceivers who came into the church. Watch how he categorized them. In verse 18. Well, I'm going to start reading at verse 17. It said, but beloved. Remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they, they told us, told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. So this is Jews called to remind what the apostles taught us, that in the last days, they're going to be mockers who are going to live according to their own lust. That's a categorization of these mockers, these anti-Christians, these folks who come in to corrupt the church. They walk after their own lust. In verse 19, these be they, referring to those mockers who walk after their own lust, who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. So the how he characterized these people, these mockers who walk after their own lust, said they're sensual and they do not have the spirit. So this is Jews' understanding of these corrupt people who came into the church, who was leaving men astray, Say so they walked after their own lust and they do not have the spirit. So Jews understanding of the wicked, Jews understanding of the unrighteous, the ungodly, these are the people who do not have the spirit of God. Are y'all with me? So if you're wicked, if you're unregenerate, living according to your own lust, your own passions, you don't have the spirit of God. 
If you do not have the spirit of God, you're not a child of God. You're not a son of God. You're not an inheritor of the kingdom. This is something we cannot debate. The only way to be a child of God is to be filled with the spirit of God. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is to be born again. The only way to be righteous is to have the spirit of God living inside of you. If you are wicked, if you are living according to the lust of your flesh, the desires of your heart, doing what you want to do, whatever you feel, sensual, you do not have the spirit of God. Point blank. So going forth, everything we take to understand about what it means to be filled with the spirit, to walk in the spirit, to be baptized in the spirit, to be born again, has to have this in mind. Are are you with me? So now let's deal a little bit with the controversy. There's this idea that you can be saved and still need a filling of the Spirit. And we're going to wrestle with it. Is that true? Is it possible for me to be saved, to be a Christian, and still lack the Spirit of God? And this is real serious for me. Just give you a little background. Back when I was like 16, 17, I got kicked out of high school. The man railroaded me. <laughs> Put down by the man. But I got kicked out of high school for a full semester. They would not let me come back. And end up going to this alternative high school. And at the alternative high school, it was like a little boot camp. We Got there early, did PT every morning, no matter how cold or how hot it was, we was out there doing it. There's a whole part of the thing. You can only walk on the third square with your hands behind your back. That's how the school was ran. But also a part of the school was this camp we went to. They had this character camp. We go out, Camp Chandler did the little ropes course and all that thing. They taught us about leadership skills and also on and so forth. And there was this guy at the camp, really a couple of them who reached out to me, and they tried to be a mentor to me, and they helped me out. One of them was this deep, philosophical dude all about the melanin. So he reached out to me. like I'm saying, uh, brothers, we got, we got to stick together. Y'all young brother got to shift. And he gave me this book about the paradigm and so on and so forth. I ain't care about education. Reading, I maybe read two chapters of that book and talked to him like I knew the whole thing. <laughs> Because really, he did most of the talk. All I got to know is when to say, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and there was this other guy. He was a Christian guy. And both of them was pulling me at different times. And this guy, he started a little house church in his own little home. They tore his house down. Thank Jehovah's Witnesses on it now. Right there off Perry Hill Road. And we used to go in and get in there. And he was really digging in on me. And he was really getting into me. And I appreciate the time. But his big emphasis at that time was that I needed the second blessing. And so we go to his house. We have church in the little house church. Then he had his time, what they call a tarrying session. Some of you may be from that tradition. You understand what I'm talking about. For those who are not, the tarrying session is this time where if you're in a church, they send you down to the basement. Uh, they just isolate this little time. And you're supposed to tarry for the Holy Ghost. So he had his time in his house after church. He had me and another little guy he was trying to mentor. And he had us, we was in there, we was tearing. Calling on Jesus, 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 Jesus. We're doing that for hours. Now the amazing thing is, in my mind, as I reflect back on this, 
is that me as a heathen really didn't know God, couldn't tell you Genesis from Revelation, had nothing, nothing really was lost. I was willing to do this because I, there was something in me. God was starting to work on me and I really wanted to be right. So I was willing to sit now and to be in now and to say, geez, 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 geez for hours because this man convinced me that there was something I needed. Then from there, he ended up stopping his house church and going back to his regular church and I ended up going with him. And in that time, something struck me that God didn't reveal to me why he pointed out to me later. I noticed something. That there was this group of people who was elevated and they had this status. But as I got close to these people and began to know these people personally, some of them was very mean. Some of them was very judgmental, not in the sense of I don't like you, but judgmental in the sense of they had a hierarchy about the way they viewed people and the way they viewed life. And from my background and my condition, I didn't fit into the hierarchy and I felt it. Because I'm a little 17, 18 year old kid from the projects, ain't got nothing in their eyes, I don't come from nothing. And I felt that. But these people were elevated. And at the time, it really didn't strike me. But then there was this one guy in the church that I met. Very humble. Very nice. Very compassionate. Very patient man. But this guy, who showed all these characters and attributes of the Spirit, every day after service, they brought this guy up. And they told him, you need to tear. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to tear. You need to be filled. Now, there was the most compassionate man I met in that church. The most patient man. Very humble spirit. I'm talking about very kind, very patient, very humble. But they had this man convinced that he did not have the spirit of God. Even though everything about his life, he he talked about his transformation. He talked about the change. And he lived in a way that you was just drawn to the niceness and the character that he's displayed. But every day after church, I mean, every Sunday, he was up front. He was tearing. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Me and him up there. Sweat. Now I'm saying this is the 90s. Well, back then I tried to be fly. <laughs> know what I'm saying? Cause, so I used to have my silk shirt on. <laughs> I had my silk shirt on, man, with, with my, with my ostrich skin, Georgie O'Brutini's on. Thought I was a pimp. <laughs> so I'm in that GGG sweat. Shirt feel like cotton when I come about <laughs> So much sweat. Destroyed two minute shirt. <laughs> Me and this dude. But later as I thought about it, I was like, oh no, something ain't right. How is he in the same boat with me? And the people who mistreat me are above both of us. This can't be right. And once I finally got it, I always reflect back to that moment because I think God sent me through that for a reason and for a purpose. And it's something that I wrestle with over the years. Because even as I move from camp to camp and, and, and move from people, this always comes back up to me. This idea that in some way possible that dude didn't have the Holy Spirit. So let's wrestle with why they say that. Let's go. Go to. Let's start with Acts. Go to Acts chapter 1. Baptized, feel, sealed. Is there a difference? Acts chapter 1, 
starting at verse four. This time. Saying, being assembled together with them, this <clears throat> commanded them. This is Jesus with his disciples after the resurrection. He getting ready to go back. Said, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. What saith he, you have heard of me. But John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now this is where the concept of tarrying comes from. So Jesus told them to wait, to remain, to tarry, to stay in Jerusalem until they receive the promise for the Father. So this is after the resurrection. Jesus is about to sin, and this is his instruction to his people. Y'all stay here. And the promise of the Father, which is another expression for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is going to come. And you're going to receive power. You're going to be witnesses for me once you get this Spirit of the Father. But you got to remain here. How long? It going to be some days. He didn't tell them. So they remain. Go back to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 verse 22. It's like a page or so back. If you're on a paper Bible. Alright. It's John chapter 20. So when he had said this. He breathed on them. And said unto them. Receive you the Holy Ghost. Alright. So this is right after the resurrection. Before what we read. So Jesus got them all together. And he breathed on them and told them to receive you the Holy Ghost. Now, in the eyes of many people, this is when they got the initial outpouring of the Spirit. Ain't that what it said? Your Bible said the same thing? He breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. So, in the minds of many people, at this moment, they were given the Spirit. So, if they were given the Spirit at this moment, why in Acts, before Jesus ascended, did he tell them they had to wait on the Spirit? Hmm. Are y'all understanding what we're saying? So in Acts, he told them, you're going to be baptized not many days from here. Right here, he told them, he breathed on them and told them to receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, how in the world do we reconcile this? Or is it true? You can get the Spirit partially. But then you got to wait on the real power. Is that possible? Is that what we're seeing here? Is that what is being taught? Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Yeah, John chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. It said, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So this is Jesus prepping his disciples. From chapter 14 on, Jesus has been telling them about the promise of this Comforter. This this one that's going to come, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth that's going to lead them and guide them into all righteousness. They're going to remind them of everything that he told them. But notice what he told them. It is expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away... Then the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will send him unto you. Y'all got that. So when will the comforter come according to Jesus right here? When he go away. So the spirit is going to come when Jesus go away. He's going to send the spirit of God. 
How y'all, do you see that? I ain't make that up, did it? Yeah, sometimes my eyes see the wrong thing when I be reading. So I'll make sure everybody else saw the same thing. I ain't make that up. He gonna leave, then he's gonna send the spirit. That's when the spirit is gonna come. After Jesus leaves. So in John 20, when he breathed on them and said, receive ye the spirit of God, we got a problem. Because he ain't gone yet. He's still there. So how can he give them the spirit when he told them the spirit ain't going to come till I leave? Then I'm ascended. What we have here is a prophetic act and a prophetic symbol. Jesus breathing, the same word for breath and spirit is the same. So the spirit is the spirit of Christ, the breath of Christ. So he's breathing and telling them, receive the spirit. Just a prophetic act. He did not send it yet. Are you, are you with me? And one way that can help us notice, if you continue reading in John chapter 20, somebody was missing. Thomas. Read down two more verses, it's going to let you know that. Thomas won with them. When Jesus came back and Thomas was there, no mentioning of giving Thomas the spirit ever takes forth. So if our initial understanding is true, that means Thomas didn't have the Holy Spirit. Everybody got it but him and Jesus left him out. He came back to show him that he rose, but he didn't come back to give him the spirit. Are you with me? Because Thomas won with them when Jesus breathed on them and told them to receive ye the spirit of God or receive ye the Holy Spirit. So what I believe is that was a prophetic act showing them what will happen, what will take place. Are you with me? Because he automatically, he already told them that they will not receive the spirit until he go. Then he's going to send it. So the spirit of God is something sent by God into the hearts of his people. So what do we do with Acts? Because he told them, not many days hence you will be baptized with the spirit. That word baptized with the spirit is the focus word. What does it mean to be baptized with the spirit? Now, this is a strange thing that most of us are not even conscious of. Do you know the word baptized is not an English word? Only reason we use it is because King James them used. Really, it's a Greek word that was just transliterated into the English language. They didn't translate it. Transliterated means they just took the sounds and matched them with English sounds to make it look like an English word and just brought the whole word over. The word literally means to be immersed in or to be absorbed within something. So when Jesus said you're going to be baptized with the spirit, it means you're going to be immersed in the spirit or that you will be absorbed into the culture of something. Are are, are y'all with me? So the promise is that you're going to be baptized with the spirit. Now the question becomes for us, is there a difference between being baptized with the spirit and being filled with the spirit? Now let's just do a DNA poll by show of hands. How many people think that there is a difference between being baptized with the spirit and being filled with the spirit? You raise your hands. You think there's a difference. (laughs) The definition of being baptized is to be immersed, to be absorbed within something. To be filled means just what it said, to be filled, to, to, to be Filled up to be brought to full 
to be accomplished, to bring to his end. How many of you think there's a difference between being baptized with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? Got three people. How many of you think it's the same thing? Got four people. Oh, you join? <laughs> All right. <laughs> and so we got everybody else in between. So we got three people. Says the difference. What will end up being six people? Says the same. Some of them was halfway, so they were like, I don't know. She joined in at the end, like they winning, so I'm gonna be with them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They, they got the most number. I live in a democratic society. <laughs> so you the electoral college. Okay. <laughs> So is there a difference between being baptized and being filled? All right, let's look at this thing. Now, Jesus told them they were going to be baptized not, not many days hence. How many people know when that happened? 40 days later, 50 days later, depending on when you start counting. What book of the Bible it happened in? Acts. What chapter? Huh? <laughs> chapter 2 man you supposed to know this <laughs> okay well, I ain't hear you Acts chapter 2 see now we know where camp y'all in y'all don't know this chapter <laughs> Yeah, y'all supposed to know this chapter here like the back of your hand see y'all come from the mother people <laughs> y'all don't know this chapter it's like uh, every other Sunday chapter, now Acts two, Acts two and four, Acts two thirty eight. Y'all, y'all got two supposed to be in there now. All right, we're gonna start reading that Acts two verse one. That, that's it. <laughs> Acts chapter two. So this is not many days hence. It said, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now then, when, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? So this is, this is the, the scene. They together. They've been sitting there waiting for an undisclosed amount of time. You had 120 people in one room. That's deep. A hundred and people, twenty people in one room waiting. Not knowing what's going to happen. Not knowing when it's going to happen. They're just waiting. And think about this a little bit deep. And we talk about devotion and we want to be like the apostles. Now, a hundred and twenty of them in one room. Most of them was from where? Anybody know? They just told you down there in verse. Galilee. Which is northern Jerusalem. I mean, northern Israel. They're in the city of Jerusalem. They're a couple miles away from home. 
They got jobs. They got families. But they were willing to sit in one room with 120 people. And you know it wasn't no Chad's AC. Hands heating in there. Luke Wild wasn't around nowhere. It was 120 of them in one room for an undisclosed amount of time willing to forsake their businesses, their families, to be sitting up huddled in one room waiting on the promise of God. That's deep. But we want the, we want the power that they have. How many of y'all willing to sit up in a little bit of room with 120 people for you don't know how long to wait on you don't know where they're going to be? <laughs> ain't too many of us down for that man I gotta go work in the morning bro <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's hot up up here <laughs> you know what I'm saying anybody gonna go to the store <laughs> they were waiting no chips no hot pockets no microwave <laughs> you know what I'm sitting up in now for an undisclosed amount of time away from home, away from family, just waiting. But we think we're going to get the same power they had. And we can't pray for 20 minutes. That's a whole nother conversation. Let's get back to what we were talking about. <laughs> That's a whole nother one now. So they all was there. The sound came. The sound of the mighty rushing wind. Fire, cloven tongues, all this grand and great stuff. Check out what it said happened. Verse 4. And they were all what? They were all filled with what? With the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost if you read old King James. Jesus told them what was going to happen. If you wait, they're going to, what's going to happen? You're going to be what? You're going to be baptized. Did Luke mess up? Did he mistakenly switch the words and forget to put baptized right there? No, because that's what happened. Jesus gave them a promise of a baptism of the spirit. And when the time of Jesus promise of the baptism of the spirit came, Luke said they were all filled. So being baptized with the spirit and being filled with the spirit in the mind of Luke is one and the same thing. These words are interchangeable. Are, are, are you tracking with me? So you can be filled with the spirit you can be baptized with the Spirit. It's one and the same thing. And it's tradition that separates them, not Scripture. Are you with me? Because the people who believe in the separation, when they point to the separation, they're going to point to this verse. In the hundreds of times I heard this chapter preached on, never did I see that. Until one day I did something amazing. Like this is something people should do. I sat down and read the Bible. I'm like, it's this strange thing. Like, man, I sat down and I read this thing. And I said, hey, he don't separate it. It's the same thing. But in my mind, they were always separated. Why? Because that's how I was taught. I was read Acts 1, 4, and 5. Then we jumped immediately to Acts 2, verse 4, and the man told us what it means. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And, that's, and, and most of us, that's the way we understand our Bible, through our preacher, through our traditions. Most of y'all do that with John. You go with John 1 through 3, then it goes straight down to John, what is 14. 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the way the chapter goes. It's like 11 verses before you get to that other one. <laughs> but in our mind, they run back to back because that's the way tradition has taught us. So what we need to learn how to do is slow down, question everything, and study the Scriptures and see what is so. Are y'all with me? So there's one and the same thing. Being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Spirit is a reality for all of us. But this is where the turn comes. Ephesians chapter 5. Watch this. Watch. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 is what I want. This is a famous one here. says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the strange thing about this thing is that is a command. You're commanded to do do what? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, one strange thing, if you read your Bible, that happens. After Acts 1, being baptized with the Spirit never shows up again. Never again. The only references to being baptized with the Spirit is in the Gospels. Where John said, I baptize you with water. But one is coming, referring to Jesus, who's going to baptize you with the Spirit. After Acts 1, you don't see it again. The closest reference we got, we're going to look to it a little bit later, is 1 Corinthians 12, where it said we have all been baptized by one spirit into one body. Other than that, it does not show up again. The only thing we get is the command to be filled with the spirit. You know, the amazing thing is this command only shows up once. Outside of this passage, nowhere else are you commanded to be filled with the spirit. Nowhere else are you commanded to be baptized with the spirit. But these are big deals. Only shows up once. The other uses in the New Testament got is people telling you, uh, the Bible telling you that people were filled with the Spirit. Acts, it talks about the, the apostles being filled with the Spirit. It talks about Paul was filled with the Spirit. It talks about John the Baptist being filled with the Spirit from the room. It talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were full of the Holy Spirit. Those are the only other uses. But the thing I want to drive home with you with this is, this baptized, filled, are interchangeable. But you're commanded to be filled. You're commanded to be baptized. And this is necessary. Let's, let's just play with this for a minute. We're still in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Watch this. It said, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, if you pay attention to this, this is an outflow of the command. So you be filled with the Spirit, and this is what happens. Are you with me? So the end result of your filling with the Spirit is you're going to start singing, you're going to be thankful, and you're going to submit to one another. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You be filled, what's going to happen? You're going to start singing, which means you're a joyous person. You're going to start being thankful, and you're going to submit one to another. And it get a little bit deeper. It goes from now to the end. It starts talking about what? Wives and husbands. Husbands and wives. 
slaves and masters, children and parents. All of this goes back to one command, and that's to be filled with the Spirit. So this is what we need to ask ourselves. Whether or not we think we feel, we baptize, or whatever it is you believe, no one understands that there's one in the same thing. But the reality is something that we cannot miss. And the reality is a transformed life. If you are filled with the Spirit, it will change every relationship that you have. It's going to pour forth joy into your heart, which means it removes depression, anxiety, so on and so forth. It's going to pour forth thankfulness in your heart, which means you'll fulfill the command of Philippians that tell you do all things without whining and disputing. Complaining gonna get away from a Christian. That, that, that's reality. Because you're thankful. You can't be a thankful complainer. That, that don't work. I'd be like, man, I can't stand. Why are you asking me to wash the dishes? I don't need to be married. I wash the dishes every day, but I'm glad though. I'm thank God that I can wash the dishes. <laughs> How many of y'all ever done that before? <laughs> if you did, one of them was real and one of them was fake. <laughs> because this is what the spirit produces. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You submit to one another. So all these spirit-filled churches that have disagreements, that have disruptions, and they're breaking up because of the style of the song and because of the, uh, the how many times we send back to the mother church and whether or not we put a clock in the back, they must not be filled. And if you're a second blessing, people, you ain't been baptized. Because ain't no way you can be fighting and disgruntled over how much the keyboard player get paid more than the drummer and why the lead singer don't get paid, but the musician get paid. And I'd be up here every Sunday. And when we go to conferences, I go, now how you going to pay them? And see, this stuff that churches do. But they claim they feel with the spirit. Feel with the spirit, submitting who, who they supposed to submit to? One another. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? And the man with the big suit, he don't listen to nobody. And if you question him, you will be ostracized and kicked out. The door locked, security come and escort you up out of there. But we submit to who? One another. That means parishioners submit to pastor, right? One another would include pastor too, right? So that means he's just as humble as you are. And he can hear you just as well as you can hear him. But if he can't hear you and he's supposed to be this man with the spirit of God, that means he, he, he ain't been filled. Are you with me? And it goes and it goes and it goes because the reality of the new birth, the reality of the life is something that's manifested. But you are commanded to be filled. And this is an amazing thing about the scripture that mess up our Western mind because you're commanded to be passive. What I mean by that is that being filled is a present tense passive verb. It ain't nothing you do. It's something that happens to you. Uh, you, you understand that? Most time when you command somebody something, you're commanding them to do something. But Paul don't understand language apparently. Because he commanding us to have something done to us. 
So I'm supposed to do something that I can't do nothing about. Which is why our mind's so messed up. How many of you have read in the Bible? It's like mortify the deeds of the flesh through the spirit. Then you ask yourself, how I do that? I'm the only person that I've done that before. Okay, I'm not telling. <laughs> how, how do I do that? He telling me to do something. Then all he put on there is by the spirit and be done with it. Like, man, you know, I need some, some steps. Some, you, know saying? you need to write that thing out. Where the rest of the Romans at? I'm the only person that ever thought like that. Like, how, how do I do that? And this is what I want to drive home. And this is the thing that I want to get out of all this. Is that this is a work of God. And that it, the power of God is a manifestation of God in our hearts. And the only thing that we can do to receive this is do that. Receive it. We believe in Jesus and Jesus does the work. Because the amazing thing is, and now I'm going to mess with the other camp a little bit. Because they're going to tell you, once you're saved, you receive the Spirit at the moment of salvation. Okay. See the Spirit at the moment of salvation. And then they do the crazy thing. What's the crazy thing that they do? One. What 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 what, what that thing say? You feel with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Right? Ain't that what it said? Giving thanks always and all that good stuff. Now, in this next camp, they're going to isolate you and they're going to tell you, you got it. Watch you been saved. But then they get deep. I'm saying I ain't go to the preacher school, so I ain't quite got it. And they look at you intently. See, now, you're saved sealed with the spirit of God into the day of redemption there's nothing you can do to take the spirit of God away from you now you're going to mess up you're going to make mistakes and it may be possible for you to lose the joy of your salvation but just know that God is with you he will never leave you or forsake you and I'll be like hold up if that is true, God is with me. He's in me. I'm sealed into the day of redemption. Is there a difference between filling, sealing and baptism? Because it's possible for me to be sealed and not filled and baptized? Hmm, that's a whole nother question. <laughs> and the answer to that question is no. If you're filled, you're sealed. If you're sealed, you've been baptized. Now the filling and the sealing is one and the same thing. So that means the outworking of the ceiling and the outworking of the filling should be the same thing. Are you with me? So if it's possible for me to be sealed into the day of redemption, that means it's possible for me to walk in joy, to walk in love, to walk in peace, to walk in thankfulness, to walk in patience and temperance. How long? Until the day of redemption. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And we're gonna, we gonna make this thing just, 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 just a little bit funky, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Galatians chapter 5. Watch this. Famous verse, everybody know it, but I'm just gonna put your mind in a different place when you look at it. Galatians 5, 16. Famous, famous verse. Alright, everybody out. Galatians 5, 16. Watch this. 
Said so this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm going to read that again. I know sometimes my eye put stuff on the page that don't be on there. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So walk in the spirit and what's going to happen? You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now that sounds like a promise, a guarantee. Does it sound like that to you? That if this happens, then this is going to happen. So if you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're going to come back to that. Go to Romans chapter 8 again. Romans chapter 8. All right. Romans chapter 8 verse 12. We're going to read a little bit for context. Romans chapter 8 verse 12. If you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Therefore, in Romans 8, 8, 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to live, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So who are the sons of God? As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So is it possible For me to be a son of God and not be led by the spirit. Not if we understand Paul correctly. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The ones who are led by the spirit. What does it mean to be led by the spirit? And actually, if you take that word and track it all the way through through the scripture, you come come across some some strange things. Because sometimes that word means to be brought. And what a place that they use it is when Jesus requested the donkey. They grabbed the donkey and it said, could be translated, they led him to Jesus. Now, do you think they untied the thing and just sent it on their way and they walked all the way to Jesus? Nah. They were dragging it. <laughs> they took it to where they wanted it to go. And that's the way that it, it, it's taught. Jesus, when he told his, his disciples about the persecution that come, he said, you're going to be brought before judges. Do you think that means they're going to give you an invitation and going to request your presence for a banquet? No. He was talking about persecution. He was talking about them being kicked out of the synagogue. And he said you're going to be brought before judges. It's the same word as led. So it's something where an outside force compels you in the direction that you go. That's being led by. And what he's saying is if you're led by the Spirit, you are the sons of God. John 1 tells us that as many as received him, to them he became the power to be to be the sons of God. So receiving Jesus and being led by Jesus seems to be one and the same thing. Because you can't receive Jesus and be a son of God and be not led by the Spirit and not be a son of God. Either you are or you're not. The Scripture has to live in congruence. So if you are not led by the Spirit, you are not a son of God. So when the preacher man tells you that you receive the Spirit once you're saved, but you live like a child of the devil... Chances are you do not have the spirit because the only people who have the spirit who are the sons of God are the people who are led by the spirit of God. Now, how does led connect with walk? Is it possible to walk and not be led or be led and not walk? It's one and the same thing. Because to be led, like I said, to be brought along, to be compelled to go by an outward force, to walk means to move in accordance with something. 
That's the definition of to walk by, to move in accordance with. So you move in accordance with the spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're led by something, you're moving in accordance with that power. Because they're compelling you. Are y'all, you understanding what I'm saying? So if I walk in the spirit, which means I'm moving accordance with the spirit, which means I'm being led by the spirit because the spirit is the one directing my steps. I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if I'm being led by the spirit, I am a sound of God. But if I'm fulfilling the lust of the flesh, what does that say about me and my spirit walk? That's something I have to wrestle with. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So when this man give me the promise that I'm sealed to the day of redemption. That ain't nothing I can do to change it. That neither depth nor height shall separate me from the love of God. All that is true. But it has to mean something. And it can't cancel out other realities of scripture. So these people in this first camp. They put all the power of something later. It's something I got to long for. It's something I got to beg God for. It's something I got to hope for because I'm saved and I can't be holy unless I get this second blessing. I'm saved, but I can't be a witness unless I get this second blessing. I'm saved, but I ain't got no power until this other thing comes. So they got a whole pure people sitting here waiting on something that God already promised them. And then you got this other camp where they say that ain't true. These people over-spiritualizing, these people putting this hype, we already got it. But they're claiming they have a reality that is not being manifested and they're content with that. So you got both groups in the same position. One waiting on the promise and waiting on the power. The other one saying, there ain't no promise and there ain't no power. I already got it. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. And he ain't stopped working. And it ain't just for no show. It ain't just for no emotions. It ain't just for you to be excited and run around the church. It's deeper than tongues and all that other stuff. It's about living right. Because if I walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's a promise. But I'm sitting over here with this other camp. I'm saved and I'm struggling. I'm going to struggle all the days of my life. Me and this flesh. Me and this power. This sin, it's just got a hold on me. And it's just the strongholds that I deal with. And it's just the troubles and struggles of being the flesh. I got two natures and all this other stuff that they make up. Bible don't teach no two natures. You're a brand new creature. Are you, are, are y'all tracking with me? So we need to get out of both camps. Stop sitting here and thinking that the power of God don't work. I got the spirit and I got all I'm going to get and I'm just going to struggle my way until the day of redemption because I'm sealed until the day of redemption and I'm going to get down and fall up and be on these spiritual highs and lows until the day of redemption. No, God is real and God got power. He said, you're going to receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then if he's going to give me power, why should not I not expect to live in it? That's his promise. Then I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to be a testimony for him after the Holy Spirit has come upon me. So if I repeated after that preaching and got filled with the Spirit, power should have came then. And if I don't see power, what am I supposed to do? I need to be seeking Jesus. Are you with me? And don't be with this other camp waiting on something to come. I'm waiting. And thinking I got to get to this next level of spirituality. And I got to get to this next step. And I need this man to lay hands on me. I need that woman to lay hands on me. You don't need none of that. All you need is Jesus. 
Because you can sit in that basement and clap G, 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 until your lungs fall out and still live like a sinner because power don't come from tradition. Power don't come from acts. Power come from God. Are y'all with me? And that's what we need. Now watch this. Watch, watch, watch. Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to leave you alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. I promise you I'm going to leave you alone. All right. First Corinthians 12. We're going to skip around and it's just for time. Read the verse first. It said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the spirit of God call it Jesus a curse. And that no man could say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. All right. So there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God will work it all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, this is Paul talking about spiritual gifts. I'm going to switch this a little bit, though. Now, he's saying. One spirit. Diversities of gifts. One spirit, diversities of administrations, diversities of at work. But in verse seven, the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, this is Paul understanding of what the operation of a gift is. It is the manifestation of the spirit. That's all the spiritual gift is. It's the spirit of God showing or demonstrating himself through people. So it is the manifestation of the spirit is given to all to profit all given to every man to profit with all now if the gifts in the operation of the spirit is a manifestation of the spirit and if we continue to read he showed you that there's variances in, in gifts and variances in administration so that means that the, the operation or the manifestation of the spirit can vary from person to person so Cabronica can have a gift of prophecy and Chelsea can have a gift of prophecy, but the manifestation can vary because there's difference of operation. One same spirit operating one same gift but manifested in it in different ways. Uh, are y'all understanding what I'm saying? But it is one self-same spirit that's doing the same work. Now go down to 31. Well, 29. It said, all apostles, all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but cover earnestly the best gift, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. So this is Paul speaking rhetorically. Are all prophets, are all apostles, so on and so forth. Now, the operation of the Spirit is a manifestation of what? The Spirit of God. So the Spirit can manifest itself and it's an outwork of your being filled with the Spirit. So everybody, Paul said, we have all been baptized by one Spirit into one body. So when he's people he's talking to, they got the Spirit. The Spirit lives inside of them. But then he's talking about these, these variances and manifestations. But then he ends with this strange thing. 1231. 
all prophets, all apostles do all speak in tongues. And he's saying it rhetorically. Now everybody ain't. But you covered earnestly the best gift. That's a command. You covered earnestly the best gift. Now let's think about this. 12-7, he told us what a gift was. It is a manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit moves how he wills according to his own will. So the gift moving is the Spirit showing itself through you. But then Paul commands you to covet earnestly the best gift. So what is he saying? That means it's possible for me to receive a gift for the Spirit, that the Spirit work and operate in me within a certain way, and I can seek God and he can give me another manifestation, which means that the Spirit can change its operation within me. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? And we're going to expand this to a bigger picture, but I want to make sure you understand this. So it is possible for Cabronica to repeat after that preacher, to raise her hand, be filled with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of prophecy come upon her. Ain't nothing but the same Spirit that saved her is working through her. And she can operate like that. And God can convict her heart one day when she say, hey, I want to not only prophesy, but I want to interpret tongues. And she can seek God for that. And God has the ability to manifest himself in a different way through her. Are, are y'all understanding what I'm saying? It's the same spirit, the same power, but it can manifest itself in different ways throughout people, even different ways within the same person. Are y'all, are, are you with me? What that has to do with what we've been talking about. Now, the bigger picture I want to broaden this out to is still picking on them last folks. This same spirit of God can manifest itself through me. And since it's possible for her to be saved with one gift, seek God and gain another gift, that means it's possible for the spirit to continually work within the same person. That means it's possible for the spirit to be actively growing, moving, and expanding within one person. Are, 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 you, are you with me where I'm at? So how does this apply to my life? I get saved. Feel with the spirit. But the spirit don't stop there. The spirit is constantly at work. Way back before a lot of y'all were here, we talked about one of the names of God. And one of them is Olam El, the eternal God. And we talked about how that means the ever acting God. The God who does not sleep, who does not slumber, who's ever at work. That God, that ever active God, that God that continuously moved, that God that continuously at work, that God that hovered upon the waters lives inside of you. If so be that you are a child of God. And this ever working, this ever acting God, this God that can manifest himself in different ways at different times according to his will lives inside of you. So how content and how stale should your Christian life be? Shouldn't be so. Because you got an active eternal God inside of you. You got a God that never sleeps, that never slumbers, that never grow weary, living inside of you. So your life should be a one of a continuous work. So I don't pray and repeat after the preacher one day, gain some level of comfortableness. I'm saying I get my knot out of this world, stick on the back of my car, whatnot. You know what I'm saying? 
listen to a little Christian music sometime, carry my Bible a little bit, let it get sun stained in the back of the window every now and then, saying, read my daily word devotion every now and now I'm a Christian and I'm cool. Cause I listen to Toby Mac. <laughs> and our life stay there, stagnates. And we get to this point where a lot of us are displeased and dissatisfied and we got that, this, this, this Peace, discontentment when it comes to Jesus. And you hear people, you talk to folks who've been saved for both. Man, I, I, I know there's more and I, and I want more. And, and, and they just can't tell you what it is that they discontent with and what it is that they ain't satisfied with. It's cause they with their ladder camp. It's cause they done sat their butt down and the preacher man had told them that they feel, that they feel, and ain't nothing else gonna change. And them people all there are fools waiting on this second thing. But we ain't waiting on no second thing. We waiting on the full manifestation of the first thing. The full manifestation of the outworking of the spirit that lives inside of me. So I don't grow content. Because God is eternal. God is almighty. God is everlasting. And if he can change me and make me not be a sinner, what can he do with me after he do that? Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? If he can change me and take lust out of my heart, if he can change me and take lying out of me, if he can change me, take hatred out of me, what good can he do with me? That's just the negative stuff. So I'm still seeking him to see the righteousness manifested. I'm still seeking him to see the love, to see the power, to see the compassion, to see me do something that ain't never been done before on this planet because God is living inside of me. Are you understanding what I'm saying? That he's a living God, an active God. Why I can't talk to him? Paul prayed that the communion of the Holy Spirit be with me. He live inside of me, so I should be able to talk to him. He manifests himself through me, so I should be able to talk to him. So I don't rest content to say that I pray, close my eye, and go on about my business and be like them folks that were praying for Peter to get out of prison. They prayed for Peter to get out of prison. When he showed up, they closed the door in the face. So they didn't expect him to be there. <laughs> and that's the way most of us live our Christian life. We say little pet prayers. Get that at the end of our daily word. Repeat that little prayer. We're going on about our way. God bless mama. God bless daddy. God bless me. We play for the president. Amen. And our lives are the same as the rest of the world. But we got an ever active God that can work and manifest himself through us. So we should be living a little bit different. Are y'all with me? So do you have to be filled with the spirit? Yes. Do you have to wait some long time before you baptize with the spirit? No. Does that mean that God is done with you after you repeat after that preacher? No. Because feeling, sealing, and all that the same thing. And it's the power of an ever-like-working God that leads you, that guides you, that walks with you day by day. Are y'all with me? Anybody got any questions? And so I, I've, it's interesting you bring this up today because we had a conversation yesterday. I was very much on topic to this. But I do want to touch on something because I have wrestled with this question myself, being um, discipled in one camp mm -hmm. and then discipled in the other camp and then having to wrestle with this back and forth, back and forth. So in Acts chapter eight, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a passage that I got to that um, I just 
am curious how you reconcile this passage based upon the ability for someone to believe in the name of Jesus, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and then still the apostles look upon the situation and say, okay, wait a minute, we need to send some people to them. Um, so in Acts chapter 8, I just want to, you, you mind me reading it? Go ahead. Okay. Just starting at 14. I'm going to start at actually 6. If you don't 6. Mind. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city, was amazed um, the people of, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Um, they all paid attention to him from the greatest to the least. Uh, this man has the power of God. They called him great. Uh, they paid attention to him. I'm going to skip down a little bit. And then 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So for me, and they, they heard the name of Jesus preached, mm -hmm. and they believed it. Mm -hmm. All right, so 14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so in one camp, I was taught, you believe in the name of Jesus, you confess your sins and you are filled, you're sealed with the Holy Ghost. And the other one, as you said, it's you believe you, you confess the name of Jesus, you can be saved, but you need this second thing. Mm -hmm. And so. When I read this and when I still, I mean, to me, it says I can, as a, as an unbeliever, I can hear the word of God. I can believe on the name of Jesus. I can be baptized in the name of Jesus. But there was something the apostles saw that said, okay, these two things have been checked, but we need to send y'all to them because Holy Spirit has not yet fallen upon them. Yeah, that's good. I'm hoping somebody will bring that out. There's two more that y'all need to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> Two more. But now what we have here is the one thing that that should catch our attention, first of all, is that this is the only time we see this. The only time. And so we have to ask ourselves what's what is different about this situation? Because this is the only time we see it. Philip preached, the people believe, and then in 14, it says the apostles heard. So when Philip was preaching, the apostles was not there. They sent the apostles to come. So this is the first time that the Samaritans heard the gospel. First time it ever happened that the Samaritans received the gospel. And so at this first time, it was done by a person who was not, who was not an apostle. So the apostles had to go and pour out the spirit upon the people. And if you watch the pattern from Acts chapter 2 going forward, and it ends in Acts chapter 10, that only the apostles poured forth the Spirit in the initial outpouring. Only the apostles. In Acts 2, it happens to them. 
Then later on, once the people will join to them, they got the spirit through them. We don't see any sign of this. Then this one comes up. This is the gospel going to the Samaritan. This is the first time it shows up. Philip preaches the gospel. The apostles have to come to send forth the spirit. Then in Acts chapter 10, once God wanted to save Cornelius and the Gentiles, Peter comes. And once he preached, said the spirit immediately fell upon them through hearing of his preaching. This is the only time that was a gap. And the only difference between this gap and the other ones is that an apostle wasn't present. And the way I understand it is God gave the commission to the apostles that they would be the foundation of the church. Starting in Jerusalem, then to Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the world. And that's the pattern that we see laid out through the book of Acts. They started in Jerusalem, then it spread through the rest of the Jews. Then it went to the Samaritans, and in Acts chapter 10, it goes to the Gentiles. But an apostle was the lead in all those things. You get what I'm saying? So the way that I rationalize it is the reason that the, the Spirit wasn't poured forth immediately is because an apostle wasn't present. And that's why this story stands out as the one and only time that we see this. And the strange thing is, is that since it's the only time, how does it get elevated above all the rest of the times? Because every other time we see it, except there's one other that I'm waiting on somebody to bring up. <laughs> the spirit comes. We don't see any other pattern like this. And if you read throughout the rest of the Testament, there's no testimony anywhere else of anybody having to wait or anybody being encouraged to be filled or to be baptized later. You get what I'm saying? This is the only one we got. So the way I rationalize it in my brain is that it fits with the pattern of the apostles being the foundation of the church and the spirit being poured forth through them as the foundation of the church. Makes sense to you? Are you saying officially or you saying this is the only time what? Because I'm trying to follow you. I've been following you, but I'm just trying to see I right. got a question about something else. Too. It's saying this is the only time where we see people believe the word and then there's a gap between their believing and them receiving the spirit of God. This is the only instance that we have of that. And now the only thing that is different about this instance is this is the first time the Samaritans heard the gospel and there was no apostle present. What's your understanding of being saved? I've, I know I can't really quote uh, reference the exact scriptures, but he said, um, whosoever believe in him shall be saved. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally believe that it is a lifelong process being saved and prepared, but there are different aspects of being saved. And on your understanding of it. Okay, you want to hold some? That's coming up. We're going to live and talk about that eventually. But a short version. The scripture talks about us already being saved. And the scripture talks about the salvation that is to come. Scripture speaks about both of them. Now, when it talks about us already being saved, it makes reference to us being saved from the wrath of God. It makes reference to us being saved from sin. And it makes reference to us being saved or overcoming the power of the world, the power of sin, the lust, flesh, and the devil, so on and so forth. So all of those are part of the initial salvation, that you escape the wrath to come, you're saved from sin, you're saved from the power of sin, and you're saved from the power of the evil one, the enemy, and the lust and the pleasures of this world. All those are things that you are saved from. That's initial. You get that the moment you repeat after that preacher, if you do it in faith. 
Now, the salvation to come is the full redemption of the earth and our bodies. That's what we're longing for. So there's coming a day where we're not going to be as we are, that our earthly body is going to be changed to an immortal body, that our whole complete nature as men is going to be transformed and we're going to be brand new creatures and the whole earth itself is going to be changed and we're going to be kings and priests living on this earth, reigning and ruling with God. That's the salvation that's to come. So that's the only separation that we see through the scripture. It's coming real soon where we're going to delve through all of them, just walk through the scriptures and try to pinpoint the separations and see how that works out in our life. But in the short version, those are the main two when it comes to salvation. Now, some people teach this process where they refer to you being justified. And then there's a process of sanctification. There's one slight problem with that is that they blend and overlook some scriptures that go contrary. Now, there is a process of us maturing and us growing. But if we understand scriptures correctly, that doesn't relate to sin. Hebrews chapter six, talking about us being moved away from the elementary things and not going back to the elementary things. And one of the elementary things he referred to it is repentance from dead works. So that's an elementary thing. That's something you get at the beginning. He said we need to grow from that. So this process, or some people tell you, you deep Christians live a life of repentance. Scripture don't undermine that. I mean, scripture undermines that because living a life of repentance, according to the writers of the Hebrews, is elementary. That's something you get at the beginning. That's that's kindergarten. That's to start off. So whatever your understanding of the process of sanctification is, it cannot have a continuation of living in sin and dead works as being a part of it. There's growth in power. There's growth in maturity. There's growth in relationship in the way that we interact with one another. There's growth in our use of our gifts. There's, those are the type of things of maturity where we manifest more of God and we, we, we grow in our understanding of who God is and how he lives and how we operates in relationship to him. But that sanctification is more of a devotion than it is a sanctification of purity, if you understand what I'm saying. Like I said, but we'll get more into that in more detail to, to flesh it all the way out through scripture in a little later. But if you got any more questions on it, go ahead. With it. Any more questions? We got one. Yes, this one is really deep for me. So I um had a neighbor who said she'd not sinned in about 15 years. Mm-hmm. Can one walk with Christ? Well, can one walk um, in this life without sinning? Is it possible? Yes. And I'm going to point you to two things just. On the start, one that Galatians five seventeen sixteen seventeen we talked about say if you walk in the spirit you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a promise from God. So if this person has been walking with the spirit and following the spirit for fifteen years, she has a promise from God that within those fifteen years no work of the flesh will she do, because that's a promise. And we also got the scripture that's often messed up. It's First Corinthians chapter ten, where it says that. No temptation has taken you except that which is common. But God is faithful to provide a way of escape from every temptation that you will not fall. That's a promise. And what that means is every temptation I face, I'm strong enough to endure it. 
And if it's some way possible for me to go through it and not be strong enough to endure it, God going to give me a way out that I won't fall. So that's a promise. So everything I face, either I can overcome it, I'm going to escape it so that I won't fall. So those are promises. Those are just two promises we have from God that promises to keep us from falling or keep us from sinning. That answer your question a little bit. Okay. Those are two promises, and there's many more. After you wrestle with them, we can add a couple more for you to meditate on. <laughs> and the Ray had a question. No, God, like we were talking about, basically, if you're not led by the Spirit, you're not His Son, but like, so like, you don't force that to happen, God needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be like the case with everything, because I mean, He literally has to. But if that's the case, then like, aside from seeking him in general, like how much of it is stuff that I like intentionally need to intentionally try to do and how much of it is just like, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So how much of it is stuff that you intentionally try to do? Yeah. All of it. Okay. But the intentions go towards the positioning and in the understanding, way, way back, probably before you came, we started this whole thing off, talked about knowing God. <clears throat> and one of the bases what got us there is that the knowledge of God produces the life that we're flowing to, uh, that we, we're, we're desiring for. So the way I put forth my efforts is into knowing God and drawing closer to him. So those are the things that I I strive towards. And that goes into the prayer that goes into the spending time with him that goes into reading the word and digesting that word that goes into the worship and, and all of those aspects, much as I can do to get me closer to God and get God more on my mind as I can that Paul in Philippians talking about think upon these things, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is of a good report, all those things that I can take you through the scripture and tell you that that's Jesus. Everything goes back to us directing our hearts and directing our minds towards him. Colossians talking about set our affections on things that are above. So the, the, the activity that we do in this is the pursuit. But it's the, not the pursuit of the results, but it's the pursuit of the person himself. It, that makes sense to you? So the energy I put towards is going after God. I'm reading my word. I'm praying. I'm spending time with him. I'm surrounding myself with godly things, surrounding myself with godly people, trying to get as much of God in my mind and my thoughts as I can, trying to let him take as much of my heart as I can. That's seeking me first, the kingdom of God, so on and so forth. So that it's the pursuit that my energy goes. You know, when Paul in Galatians talking about that we sow to the spirit instead of sowing to the flesh. All of that goes into the pursuit. It's the stuff that I put my activity into and the stuff that I put my energy into that, that directs me. And there, there's a sense where we talked about this a little bit, that in that pursuit, in that drawing, where God just transforms you and he just transcends any and everything you know. And your stuff just automatically not the same. But there's also a pursuit in there where God draws you and he calls you to trust him and he transfer his power to you. So you may be pursuing God and you may be seeking God about a certain thing. And in the midst of your prayer, small thought just pop in your mind. And that's God calling you and him giving you wisdom. Now, where the trust comes in that standpoint 
It's me trusting that I'm living in a relationship with God. He's leading me. He guiding me. He's directing my steps. So if I'm seeking God and I get this thought, sometimes that's the activity that we're called to. It, that makes a little sense to you. So um, notwithstanding Cornelius and his family, does a person usually have to actively ask to be filled with the Spirit? And what I'm thinking about is Acts 19. Where the um, they they were called disciples, so that leads me to believe that they believed in Jesus. Turn to it. Uh, Acts nineteen one one and two. No, further than that. But it says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have we have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. All right. Now, in this one, see, everybody, I knew all of them were going to come up at some point. In this one, the problem that we have, and this is a, a very famous one, because it refers to them as they were believers. But what did they believe? According to Paul's interrogation, they believed that John the Baptist was a prophet. Because they did not know there was such a thing as the Holy Ghost. And apparently they had no understanding that Jesus came, died, and rose from the grave. So all that they believed was the initial preaching of John. That's that's the only thing that they, they, that they believed. So we can't call them believers just because they say in the sense that we are believers, in the sense that we believe in the death resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe upon the name of Jesus. Because they didn't know there was such a thing as a Holy Ghost. And I always ask the question, they must have left John pretty early because John was telling them Jesus coming and he's going to baptize people with the Holy Ghost. But they just said we didn't know there was such a thing as the Holy Ghost. So the only thing that they believed was that John was a prophet and he was calling people to repentance. So now, if that categorized somebody as a Christian, then we got a problem. <laughs> but that's the only thing that they believe. So they don't count. Because they ain't even fully believe John. Because John preached Jesus. And John preached the Holy Ghost. But they ain't know nothing about the Holy Ghost. So I don't know what they would believe. But that makes sense to you. So that's why they was outside the camp because they they were wrong. They weren't even in the camp. All right. They all yours. 